Your identity is not formed in a vacuum. It is not formed by you just being in your head and saying, this is what I am and this is what I'm not. It is informed by the relationships and those connections and being questioned or being wrong or whatever it is. Just letting go of some of those, those uh, your own perceptions, right? Welcome to an outstanding and fun season four of the Hardwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, and I think you're going to enjoy this season and the episodes that we have forthcoming. Thank you. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another exciting, exciting episode of the Hardwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, aka the Hip Hop Forester. But today, this is not just me talking about diversity with someone. No, this is me talking to a friend. I have to uh, hopefully graciously, hopelessly, hopefully, hopefully charismatically, which I just ruined that, introduce her. Uh, this is my friend, Maylin Plummer. Um, Maylin right now uh, is like a, like a source of fresh air, you know, for those who care about this work in particular in the horticulture, maybe even someone say in the garden world. Maylin is the new director of the newly formed Inclusion, Diversity, Equity, and Access or Accessibility Center for Public Gardens, aka IDEA Center for Public Gardens. This is an outstanding partnership between Denver Botanic Garden and the American Public Garden Association. And she's based in Denver, Colorado. But I'm so glad to know that all of this is happening for Maylin, because Maylin is also the host of a great, great newly launched podcast, Plant People, Player places, and I have the fortune of being on that podcast myself. And so I wanted to start with all of that because that's the important stuff. Okay, now after this, the conversation is important. Thomas, don't worry about me. You're going to listen to Bailey. We're about to have a fun conversation. So, my friend, how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. I'm so happy and thrilled to be here. This has been, I think, in the making for some time. I mean, probably since the the moment we ended up crossing as panelists on a. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a symposium or a conference. It was virtual. It was during right. the pandemic. I think the first year of the mm-hmm. pandemic, which was just weird for everybody. But I mean, things still flourish, right? Yes, they do. And we talk about that in the garden world. It's things flourish sometimes in an unexpected place. And that was where this friendship was born. And this, I feel like, is just was just inevitable. It was gonna it was gonna happen. So yes. I'm just so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting Thank me. You. And it was at the American Public uh, Public Garden Association. I think we met last year, right? I think we were on the panel or something together. Or that wasn't the first time. The first one. Okay. Man, you're asking my memory to go back two whole years. <laughs> it was two years. It was like it was another conference, and it was. it was because there was a lovely woman from. I think it was American Public Garden Association, but it wasn't this conference last year. It might have been the year before. Year before. And it might have been another, another, another type because there was a, a wonderful woman. Was it her name? Uh, was it Carmen Diaz? Uh, she's from UCLA Berkeley, mm-hmm. and we were just on a, a panel discussion uh, talking about um, diversity, inclusion, equity, and accessibility. And mm-hmm. so, I, but I remember because at the time you were at Yale. But you also somehow in a side conversation, you mentioned you you lived also in Raleigh and you were a graduate from Mm -hmm. alma mater from NC State. Mm -hmm. And it was really exciting because I was living in Charlotte. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my uh, what I call home. I adopted home uh, now as a Chinese-American Southerner. (laughs) 
it's a thing. That's what's up. <laughs> and yeah, so and then so yeah, it was like when you were in town, we made sure we, we right. got together, we had a conversation, and then yeah, last year we had a virtual conference, and we had you uh, as a co-panelist um, along with one of our board of trustees here at Denver Botanic Garden, and yes. uh, it was a phenomenal conversation, and and uh, yeah, yeah, it just continues yeah. to blossom from there. All our chats. Uh, well, I'm glad that you have really, uh, you know, graced me, you know, with your presence and coming onto the Hartwood podcast, uh, because I feel like what we talk about on this podcast uh, in general, it's like we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, access, but more at the intersections of me being a forester, being a geneticist, you know, being a hip hop artist or a music artist too, but also an academic you know, and who does this work outside of all of those realms that I just mentioned. And, uh, and so I, and, and I, um, I really enjoy learning from people that I think are smarter than me. I enjoy learning from people who are engaging on levels and ways that I can't touch and you definitely are that. And so Maylin, I like to, um, it, it's, it's tough to ask a friend a question. We really just want to have a discussion. So what I like to do is instead of going down the typical way, if we could just like, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I'm going to use colloquial language. I'm going to go. We're going to vibe. Okay, let's vibe. And what I want to do is what I would like to ask you. I'm going to share briefly, but I would love for you to elaborate. Okay, it's, it's like I'm going to share something for me, but you go, okay, where you want to go. Before you and I met, I was a forester that had worked, at, uh, worked in genetics, got my master's from Iowa State, doctorate at NC State. Fortunately, uh, I also landed uh, at Yale became the inaugural assistant dean of community and inclusion around that time you and I met. And from there, I have grown so much, learned so much about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But the solutions, I would say, that I've learned as far as to address problems, to rectify issues, to repair relationships, comes mostly, if not almost entirely, from the great interactions that I have with people, okay, like yourself. With that, Please, I just love to be educated on your job and professional experience and anything else you want to share around that sphere. Don't just want to be quick. All right, I'm done. <laughs> I want to take a big, giant breath because there's a whole lot there. I love it. And I love that we're just going to vibe because that is just what we do. Mm -hmm. um, so I loved how you talked about, first of all, you know, you talk about this kind of conversation and the intersection between, you know, our, our personal journeys and what we do. And, but it has, it also has kind of evolved and crossed over. It's just a very interesting thing, right? Where we, we've tended in the past to talk about how, you know, our personal and professional realms are these separate things. And mm. in the last couple of years, right? It's just like, no, the, the, the professional is personal and the personal is professional. Mm -hmm. You can't separate those kind of parts of, of who we are. And mm -hmm. so it's really interesting that, uh, where my background and my experiences has been and where I am now, I would have mm -hmm. never have ever guessed that I would be in this role and that my focus was going to be on that finding the solution to getting more people access to what we all know is better for us mentally, physically, emotionally, environmentally in our communities that this connection to nature uh, and, and in my space it's the it's the space in the realm of, of public gardens and public horticulture botanic gardens right that that is where it, this whole journey would would take me 
And so mm -hmm. I guess um, I have to share a little bit about, I guess, a little bit of that journey and some of this kind of origin story, because this, that is this intersection between who I am personally, it completely has now merged into the professional realm. So I am Chinese American. I, my mother uh, is Chinese. Our family uh, hails from uh, part of China. Um, most people are fam familiar with uh, Nanking, uh, but they left in 49 to Taiwan as refugees. My grandparents did. And that's where they, you know, um, had a fairly large family of six children. And my mother was one of them. She's the oldest. Uh, so you know, her marrying a military man. So I am also a military brat. When I talk about who I identify as, I have, that list is really long. It includes okay. me. My experience growing up has, was always around mixed race and we were living also in many different countries around the world. So I had a, a huge exposure to different culture and different ways of interacting in a community. And it wasn't always that we were, you know, on these military bases. My family liked to merge us into the local culture. So whether we were in the Philippines or Korea, Okinawa, Germany, you know, we were engaging as much as we could in the, the local culture. And my family is a whole family of food fanatics. So we were always eating, right? And so, yes. but yet what's really interesting was my own identity around that experience because mm -hmm being of mixed race you will always kind of in some situation or another you find yourself not completely fitting in some box i couldn't say that i was chinese because even though i felt chinese on the inside and i grew up with a lot of the rituals the food the culture uh, my grandparents my family it was very close to them yet whenever i was there in you know taiwan or even going to china i was treated as an outsider and even having some family members say well you don't understand you're not chinese this is what we do and a lot of times that happens in, in mixed race that, that some of the greatest criticisms of the or the the <laughs> questions about your identity don't come from outside sometimes they come from within your own mm -hmm. culture or within your own family right That's but then you know, being also um, American um, mm -hmm. with European background roots, you know, I, uh, you know, whenever I, I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina in 1992, the common question I received was, what are you? You know, right. and so again, I'm different. I'm outside, but I don't completely fit in this box either because I look a little different. My name sounds different. So this kind of place of always floating in between something, I feel like my whole entire identity is based on intersectionality. Um, and so there's that. And then going through this whole professional career of mine, I started out as a banker. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. What are you going to do? Uh, you're going to work for, at the time it was Nations Bank, who's now Bank of America. And I was heavily, I was 19 years old when I started as a teller. And then I just kept getting promoted. Keep, you know, I, I was trying to do that American dream thing, right? Climb the corporate ladder. And I was surrounded by this very dominant, heavy, number one male culture, but also um, corporate and very white <laughs> business man culture. So I, that was a learning environment for me. Most people went off and straight into college. I didn't know what I was going to do or be when I grew up. And so here I was just trying to figure out a way to go to college or figure out what I just want to be. What do I want to do? What's going to be meaningful to me? But that really, it, 
because I, I felt myself as an equal to everybody else, but I wasn't treated that way. And I don't think I was aware of that until later, but I kind of assumed a lot of that identity, right? Of the corporate person. And what do I need to look like? What do I need to dress like? What do I need to say? And how do I speak? And yes. how do I communicate? And so that became a large part of, um, I guess me building up myself is like this onion of many layers, right? That was another layer on top of the, you know, mixed race and military brat and all these different cultures and everything that I was trying to do and try to be uh, to, in order to feel that I fit in or that I belonged. but I never did. And it was just this struggle uh, that I had this lifelong struggle with my own personal identity of who am I? What am I here for? What am I doing with my life? And so fast forward a, a few years, you know, I, I purchased a home and I immediately started to create a garden and purely because I wanted a pretty place to throw parties. And <laughs> it was legit. It was not some eco warrior thing. No, it was, I just want a pretty place. I had seen under the Tuscan ton, sun probably one too many times. And I wanted that Italian villa in my backyard and that red, red, red clay in solid as a rock in my backyard. And mm -hmm. so that began this whole other journey. And I didn't realize at the time that what I was doing as becoming a gardener was that I was starting to peel back. I think some of those layers of the onion and start to come to who I am. And that process of cultivating, accepting certain things where they are, relating to plants in that way, because I saw it at they, them eventually as these magnificent living organisms with unlimited potential and unlimited creativity. When you look at a flower, you go, the questions that I would ask would be, how did it get to be this? Like with this texture and this shape leaf and this structure and blooming at this time and all of that, right? I was kind mm -hmm. of starting, it was imprinting on me mm. that the nature of all of us is something that has limited possibilities and limitless creativity in, in who we are. And so it became something that much more to me. And then I found myself going into horticulture. So <laughs> I quit my very well paying <laughs> job, my stability and what my family and everybody were, they were so proud that I was, I was a VP right at, at bank of America and I was successful and all of this. And I just abandoned it all and went into horticulture, uh, which most of us, if not everybody listening here knows is very horrible pay. I mean, compensation is just not equate to the value and the worth of what we do and the education mm -hmm. that it also takes to get a lot of the positions that are out there. So, mm -hmm. but there was this, okay, so I have to take a, a quick little step back because in that journey of me figuring out what I want to be when I grow up, I ended up getting mm -hmm. a degree. Uh, I left the bank, but before I went into horticulture, there was this blip of several years where um, I went to university just to get to my degree and I thought, mm -hmm. okay, what are we going to do? And I found myself, it was wonderful. I went to go to school. I finally figured out that I was going to be a communications major, right? This makes sense. I love talking. I admire people who communicate really well and the power of words and everything. I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a communications major. Could not get into that prereq course to save my life. 
sitting there with my advisor trying to figure out, well, what class am I supposed to take right now? And she's like, well, you have to have a minor. Um, maybe you want to consider some, here are some options. And she mentioned international studies. And I went, what's that? So I ended up saying, well, that sounds fascinating, studying globalization and culture and what makes people make the choices that they make and how does the world work? I went, okay, that's great. So I went down that and I, next thing you know, my, like my, my goal of becoming this communications guru just like just <laughs> died in that moment. And I went full force into an international studies degree and I concentrated on East Asia. This is what I call my identity crisis degree. I spent my entire time trying to understand who I was. Was I Chinese? Was I American? What, being a military brat, we lived in all these different countries. Why were we there? I had a, an experience where we, you know, um, exhumed the, the bones of my grandmother who I was really close to. We did a reinterment ritual to, at this point, cremate her and put her in mm -hmm. a temple. But yet here I'm standing in her grave and seeing her bones exhumed and hang in that moment going, how did this come to happen? Why this? So I have, if you don't know now, a very curious mm -hmm. mind. And I want to <laughs> know how things work. So this degree really was about me understanding my identity and trying to figure out who I was. So yeah, I did that somewhere in between. And I ended up working at a consulting firm back at the bank, right? Working with banks when I graduated because the recession hit and hey, you know, mm -hmm. I had a dog to feed and a garden to continue to cultivate because I was doing that this whole time. I was a gardener, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that was it. I went into, um, when I decided to go into horticulture, it was very interesting because at that moment, I stopped questioning who I was. It became, I was a gardener. This, there was a new identity that was being born mm -hmm. and it was more, you know, I'm a, a child of the earth and the earth is of this universe. And it just was this whole other thing to me, this whole other experience. What I didn't understand when I went into horticulture, because uh, I, you know, I was all in on now becoming an eco-warrior and how do we mm. share about what we all can do with this land that we supposedly own or our property, right? Like, mm. what do we... What do we do to, to help this planet and to give back and reciprocate? Not thinking the whole time that that idea of reciprocity, it was all born into me from the culture of being Chinese right? because that culture, is very, or that culture is very much based on reciprocity, right? And relationships mm -hmm. and everything that we do. And so um, there it was coming, starting to kind of filter through. But, you know, I'm a horticulturist. I'm a gardener. I just need to work in a garden. I just want to make places pretty and keep spreading the message and keep everybody you should you know plant more flowers for bees and the environment and all this good stuff and yet that that, that then these questions started to come up it this is where you just never know where it goes because then i thought this is like the most wonderful job i get to work in a garden i get to go every day to this place of extraordinary beauty, but that also cultivates such goodness and it brings such transformation to the earth, to the planet, but also to the people who visit. They literally transform the moment they walk in. Very mm -hmm. few places do you see that just instant transformation where a person can have all their, whatever their 
being is or wherever they are emotionally, there's a transformation that happens when they immerse themselves in either a garden or a place of nature or some other plant place. Or it gives them also permission to be in the place that they are. And it's okay because that environment is not judging them, right? Mm -hmm. It is allowing them to just be unabashedly where they are. And that was the beauty. And I'm going, why doesn't everybody want to work in a garden? And why doesn't everybody go to gardens all the time? Why isn't it just packed, right? This is back in 2013. This is 2013 and I'm asking these questions and I'm going, whoa, this is amazing. But here I'm in this, I also felt special because <laughs> then I've also, I felt the privilege of being able to work in a place like that, um, right? Of a mm -hmm. place of beauty. But that's also part of the very real, but also the very sad reality is that most of these organizations are nonprofit and a lot of the wages that we talk about, the compensation earlier, right? And how like sad mm -hmm. it is how low it is. But unfortunately, within the industry ourselves, we're upholding it because a lot of times what we're told is, but you get to work in a garden. Aren't you lucky? It's okay that you don't get paid so much because you get to work in a place like this. And you kind of buy into it for a little while. You're like, oh, okay, it's all right. Um, yeah, I do get to work in a place like this. But it just kept nagging at me because the same question kept coming up. Why isn't that more people want to work in this field? Why isn't that? And, and this field is so broad, right? That was the other thing. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't mean that you're just, and I say just, like a gardener or a horticulturist. There are people in leadership, in marketing, in technology, in conservation, in uh, fundraising. There, it takes a whole team of people for a garden to exist and thrive. Mm -hmm. and grow okay mm -hmm. but most of the world does not recognize that this is a legitimate profession or an industry and i call it an industry because it's an it, 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 we do call it an industry within it but what's really funny is i've had somebody ask me a friend go well what do you make <laughs> and i go we sell joy and trying to sell the planet damn it that's what we're trying to do <laughs> and most of the time we're giving it away for free <laughs> and, and right mm -hmm. And so that's it, that question of what's, what are the barriers? And then, then of course, the, the, the question started to arise, well, beyond just the barriers, why aren't there more people like me, more people of color? Well, I started asking the question and a lot of the answers, well, they're just not out there. And of course you go, you nod your head and you go along and you go, oh, okay, oh, maybe that's true. I mean, I know that there's Definitely, I had some cultural pressure, right? And I come from a family who were very poor and they were farmers in China. And the thought of me going from a very successful and secure position in corporate to becoming a horticulturist at Gardner, they were like, whoa, 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 you're going, you're going, what are you doing? You're going backwards. I'm like, no. And I'm like, no, this is my dream. I love this, right? And so I thought, I thought, okay, well, maybe there's some legitimacy to that kind of cultural barrier. And they, and I'm not saying that they don't. I think that they actually they they do exist that there are perceptions um of the work that we do but i don't think it's limited to just within those cultures you know whether they're um asian or black or hispanic right these are looked mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. as you know lower end yet here it took degree like education internships mm -hmm. getting out there and yet 
this is again the reality that the value that we place on the people of what they do does not equate to what we are compensated and what we're we're paid. So it was a very kind of interesting place. And then I started as this pandemic started rolling out and uh, the George Floyd incident um, murder happened. And all of these questions just came fine to the, to the surface about privilege. All of a sudden it is this, oh my gosh, I'm working in an industry that is very privileged. Based on wealth, it was from a place of novelty and social groups and societies and clubs and they created garden clubs and gardens often or they came from universities and academia right so the botanists of the golden uh, era of botany right these are academics and these are you know people who are all part of the that colonial um, structure and mindset of the western world and you realize that all these gardens or I realize I'm, I'm working in the industry and a lot of these gardens are these big expensive estates. Well, people mm -hmm. had this land and they wanted to preserve it and they wanted to keep it going and then they died and they hand over all this money and an endowment, right? And we're nonprofits yet at the same time, we're scraping by um, to continue to maintain these spaces for the good of communities and everything else. Yet there's, all of this other stuff that's layered on top of that. And that's where mm. this whole conversation goes, right? You're talking mm -hmm. about land that you're on that was mm -hmm. taken or, right? Mm -hmm. Stolen or appropriated. Mm -hmm. There, We're talking about a skill that has a certain perception and has a, a cultural beliefs around what is beautiful. What, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about sustainability all the time, yet, we're not really always recognizing the history of land practices prior to the science of horticulture and, and, and gardening, right? So there's just all these complex layers. And I find myself ever at, you know, taking myself down the road of, well, what can I do to help this industry that we are in? What can I do to help make it more accessible? And what can, and what's that right role for me? Somehow, mm -hmm. like this is where I ended up in this role of the Idea Center for for public gardens, it's because a mm -hmm. lot of those barriers of why people either don't have this on their radar as a profession has a lot to do with privilege. Ooh, I'm gonna Ooh, take a okay. deep breath for a moment, it's right? Because that was yeah. a whole lot of intersections right there. Yeah, this is good, right? Um, yeah. Well, I, I, I want to see in this journey. Well, I want to respond to pieces of it. Can't respond to I respond all of it. There's so much there. One, being from the South, so I'm from Alabama, so I embrace that and living in North Carolina now, so all love there. But you mentioned your family actually were farmers. So for me, my grandparents were farmers. But as a kid growing up, I grew up with them, so they raised me. So I too was were around my elders who actually knew how to live with the earth, okay? And they taught me the good things that they taught me actually what to do and how to do it. Like they taught, like my grandfather was really keen in making sure that I understood it. But then at a certain point in my life, of course, really what happened was that they got sick and then they, you know, passed away. And then that went away, it seemed, right? But it didn't really go away. It was just that it was not in my face, it wasn't visible. Just fast forward, because you know, you shared about banking. I worked in banking for a brief amount of time. I saw no it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> It, it was like an intern, you know, so I didn't get to yeah. 
you know, go deep as you did, but it was, you know, it was, it was, it was an experience. But, you know, so, so I just want to just try to align with that. But then the other piece, you know, you mentioning, you know, you identifying and sharing with us, you know, your, you know, your racial background, you know, now me being uh, born, you know, being in, in Alabama, my whole understanding for the majority of my life was black, you know, um, I'm African-American. But then right before my grandfather passed, he had gotten really sick, you know, right before he passed. It, there's always this joke in the black community. I got Indian in my family. Like we used to always say that. And we didn't say that. My family, we never said that until right when he, before he died. And then that's when the children started telling the grandchildren, us, they were like, well, you actually know grand, granddad is actually from Florida and he's not black. And I'm like, what do you mean he's not black? You know, and they were like, well, he's actually Seminole. I'm like, what the hell? I said, you mean like the school? Now at this time, <laughs> see, I don't know nations. <laughs> I don't That's know right. tribes. You see, That's all right. I know is the, the word and I relate it to the school, you know, Florida. So I'm like, he's from Florida. That makes sense. I, wait, what? And then as they started telling us more about his mom, and then they started showing us pictures of his mom and his dad. And I'm like, yeah, neither one of them look black. Like, wait a minute, they look, you know, then we start talking about movies. I'm like, no, they look like the people in the movies. They don't look like us. And then all of the grandkids, we all had a feature that was different than our parents. Like all the grandkids, we all either have the curly hair, we all had a curly beard or wavy hair. Skin color was different. I'm the darkest grandchild. My grandfather was the darkest child. All of his siblings, exactly, all of his siblings were way more, you know, like more like, you know, sandy, like brown. And I'm like, wait a minute, how can we, you know, but we just, you know, so anyway, I'm just, I'm just going there to say that later in life when I started, and I'm still continuing uncovering because it actually wasn't just my mom's side. We found out later it was actually on my father's side too, that my father is actually indigenous too, you know? And so we're, I'm like, wait, so for me, it's a, it's a, uh, it's, it's, it's not a, um, it's not overly confusing, especially when I start studying the history of this country and how uh, the census data was captured like about 200 years ago and how it wasn't really um, identifying people. And I'm talking like back in the 1700s. Okay, it really was not identifying who people were. It wasn't until 1860 that they started identifying American Indians. First was, was in 1790, you were either black or white. Yeah. That was it, you were black or white. So if you were indigenous, you were black or white, depending on what you look like. So I've been uncovering a whole lot more about that. Okay, so that's the race part. Then the degree part, you know, I, you know, I went to school for a forestry degree. I didn't know that I wanted to do forestry. I just knew I didn't want to pay for school because I couldn't. <laughs> I didn't necessarily, I embraced genetics because that was my intro into forestry, right? And I got my master's in genetics. But it, here again, it, the whole point was make sure that you don't pay for school. It wasn't until I got my doctorate that I went deeper into who I actually am. I've been like, well, no, actually, I need to, I need to understand more about me if I'm going to educate people that my doctorate is in education. And it really woke me up to so many things about me and also woke me up to a lot of the issues within academia. I'll close with this to go to the next you know, like to the next uh, point or, you know, question when you were mentioning, you know, uh, talking about the privilege of being in this, the, pri the privileged that have, I guess, appropriated what we understand as farming to gardening. Because to me, like, that's what it is. Like, my grandmother had a beautiful garden. She did it naturally. She didn't study it. Both my mother, grandmother and grandfather, they weren't dropouts, so they were actually really intelligent. <laughs> they couldn't finish school, so they couldn't finish the lie that we all had to graduate from. And I was like, no wonder my grandparents still, even in their death, I felt I'm like, they were the smartest people I knew. 
I was like, it's like they knew so much. I'm like, and they knew how to deal with people. They uh they 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 were both entrepreneurs, you know, they were highly intelligent. They wanted us to go to school, they wanted their children to go to school, and they did, you know. But I just realized now, just listening to you, I mean, don't get me wrong, there's a lot that we gained. There's a lot we gained in those experiences, but I see now there's a lot that we also gave up yeah. in those experiences, going and getting educated a certain way. I'm gonna say a certain way. Going and um, connecting with communities, uh, you know, a certain way, you know, instead of doing like what my grandfather would say, you know, you go to communities, you always have to tell them who your people are and you tell them why you're there. And you actually tell them why you're there before you tell them who your people are because they have to accept you first. And I'm like, where did that come from? And then you start learning about his his heritage. So, you know, with there, I want to go into talking about uh, identity as a divine doorway. Because we had a conversation recently where we talked about that. And that's the language. That's your language, actually. Okay, so everyone listening, mainly came up with that. I'm just fortunate that I got it written down. But you talked about identity as a divine doorway to challenges as well as our growth. So, you know, would you, you know, mind talking about, you know, that song? Yeah, right. Because all I could say is I don't remember saying that, but it, <laughs> in our conversation. I'm not that smooth. I didn't come up with I'm not smart. I, I come like, with that. <laughs> no, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if both of us came up with it. Just because the way, and this is, you know, this is what is really great. When you meet a, another person, that when you have conversate through the art of this conversation and just talking and opening up about who you are and your interest and, and you know, the, your beliefs are just talking even through some questions about it. It's like mm -hmm. we were elevating each other's consciousness and awareness through this conversation. And it was such a, it's mm -hmm. such a beautiful thing. So all I know is I, I'm just saying that that came out there somewhere and it was probably, you know, the, the melding of the minds. So, yeah, I think, it was really interesting because the question of identity was something that um, I didn't call it identity. It was, I just don't understand why I'm here and why I'm existing and who am I and what, it, and what do I want to be? What is the expression that I want to actually be in this world in my life? And there was you know, part of it where you, you have this kind of belief that it's something you're born with and it's like, this is who you are <laughs> and that's who you got to be. And so you feel like you got to spend your life trying to find it and search for it, right? That you're going to get to it somehow, this innate within your, your being of this, like one day you're going to have this thunderclap and you're going to know who you are, right? This like Zen Buddhist no kind snap. of thing, right? Exactly. <laughs> and yet, and yet here I was and I was going through this whole thing and, and I'm going, you know, my connection to food my connection to the land and to certain beliefs and i you know and and there is something in the questioning in the asking of what we acknowledge often as our either higher self or this other this self like who is the self and just questioning that that process i i do believe it is divine in its sense because it's asking you to reckon with the experiences that you want to have like what makes you feel alive and that question and answering that is going to determine so many things in your life you know from the simplest thing of putting on an outfit and going well that's me or oh that's not me where does that even come from and where does that idea come from right and then there's the, you know, the, the, the more complex and that's like, what, what am I here? And is, is, is something that I'm meant to do as this 
you're put on this planet and you're so lucky, so lucky to be on this amazing planet. You've got to be here for a reason, right? Like, what is it you're here to do? And you go through this, it is this very kind of, you go back and forth maybe. And sometimes you can, and especially when you've gone through academics and you've gone down a route of science, then you can come up with all the logical, ra rational, right? You can go down to the chemical makeup of, of who you are. But in that process, there's something that you connect with and that it's a question that you realize you're never going to get to and be done with it. That question of who I am and therefore this is what I'm going to be to the world and this is how I'm going to express myself or this is, you know, whether it's destiny or not, like you realize you're never going to get to the end of that. At least I haven't, but more importantly, I've realized that I don't want to mm -hmm. because in this process of connecting with plants and nature and organisms you this is that limit limitless possibilities and creativity of who i am i get to play with that mm -hmm. so this is where my the pressures of society of saying what do you want to be when you grow up the first question they usually ask you in school and mm -hmm. now you've imprinted that you got to be this one thing and you spend your whole life kind of chasing trying to figure out what that one thing is. And then mm -hmm. you, your list of your identity and those traits and how you feel, the identity tells you sometimes it's a signal of where you belong. That's just like a cue in your mm -hmm. mind. And yet I, I feel the possibilities of that, but I also feel the limitations of that sometimes. Meaning because you start putting societal shoulds, you start putting the, the I should be this and I should be that. And so you're constantly negotiating between that, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where it's like constantly, you know, I'm checking in on myself and then I'm kind of going, yeah, if I'm a child of nature, I am a part of it. And I'm part of this universe and all the creativity that's there. Then, whoa, I could be whatever and whoever I want. And now it becomes less of this. This is the limit of who you are to, wow, I get to create with this. And how wonderful and beautiful is that creative process? Because it also allows you to ask those questions and become more aware of whether it's a pressure, whether it's something that I'm tapping into and, you know, my measuring stick for whether something, you know, my sense of belonging and who I am and my identity all has to come back to how I feel about it in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it has to be from a place of joy and it feels good and it feels just exactly where I am in that moment doesn't mean that it can't change later. I'm not worried about that. So yeah, it's, I feel like I just, that's a very like complicated thing, but I don't know, like, what has that been for you? And I'll turn the tables here a little bit and ask you that question, right? But that connection between your identity and that kind of divine expression and into your, like who you are and what you do in the world. Yes. I feel like a little bit on Drink Champs, a recent episode, no one was like, Shelly, don't took off my podcast. <laughs> Because <laughs> he flipped it on me. That's a goal my podcast, oh, man. I know. No, but I love it. This is how we vibe. This is how we do. First, thank you for your explanation. And I, you know, love but you love everything that you're saying. I think the best way for me to probably think about that is when I lived in Montana. And I was there for about, my assignment there for was like three and a half. Leave the way to say it, my assignment there. Because I was working with the Forest Service at the time. And, uh, at the, you know, 
just remember, I'm just I'm still uncovering, learning about my history. But at the time, I was I was the only black person there in the city, and the only black person there in the county. You know, they I had the census data to prove it for three years. I still it was it was a little weird for me coming from coming from Alabama. You know, being in a black or really well, no one just black neighborhood. We have black and brown people, black brown and even lighter skinned people there. So to go there really kind of was like, whoa, I'm here, and I'm also here by myself. And I'm here without family too, and technically without friends. And so I learned how to engage with people a lot there. I have to admit, even though I was in a place where my culture, as far as hip hop, was not reflected. I come from a family that was entrenched in the civil rights movement that was not reflected. You know, I couldn't get the food that I really liked there. That was nowhere to be found. I couldn't couldn't even get a haircut. I had hair down on my chest when I lived there. Beard too. Um, and I was overweight at that time as well. So it was, it was a different part of my life, but there's some things that I've learned being there. I learned that if, if, for me, if I put, if I, if I focused more on understanding people instead of making them understand me, what ends up happening is I end up understanding myself. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to learn them. I'm going to learn yes. them. I don't want to interact with them, even if they're not good people. You know, it's like, I'm going to learn myself because I want to learn what I do and what I don't like now. You know, it's like, oh, I don't like how he or she said that to me. I don't like how they came at me. Or, man, I wish more people would talk to me like that. I really had a good time being that person today. And um, and so I, you know, I guess mentally and emotionally and physically and maybe even environmentally took a lot of, I guess what I would say, life notes. And I'll say it like this, uh, Maylin, because you said, you know, you've been dropping up a proverb this whole time, but you said societal shoes. I got to miss something to you. Living in Montana removed the should from my vocabulary. I don't me, really I use the word. Been. Yeah, I don't really use. It should be this. To me, that's entitlement now. When, okay. For me, when I use that word. Now, there are other people who use it, you know, and that's fine. I, I, the, the smart aleck can be say that they're not where I am. But now I'm just saying we're all in places. But the reason why I said should is because even though it's just like you said when you were even talking about the land. You said how the land was stolen, but then some could say it was acquired. Some could say it was appropriated. Some will say, say it's it my given. right. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I, was, I was gonna go there. Some will say it's my right. No, 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 no. This is good. Like you, 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 you know, it's fine. It's just like read my mind. And so when I think about that, now I'm going back to Montana, right? So I'm in Montana working okay so now let, let me put myself in all of those what i just said so i'm in montana working but i'm not from montana so i'm an outsider okay but because of the way i look certain people treated me as an outsider i always are you the first black person i met and i'm like in the 90s the hell have you been <laughs> you know i it, it, that was never a good thing when people said it and i never let them think it was a good thing but that's why i was kind of a jerk to people See, you're the first black person that said, please don't say that dumb statement to anyone. And I would say, that, don't say that dumb statement to anybody else. You know, and they, and I, and I mean, I'm in my early 20s talking to people like that because it angered me. Yeah. I'm like, if I'm the first black person you met, then where the hell have you been? And like, you know, why are you now out. getting out? Right. And, and now I'm this. And then right? to say that I have to now rep, I'm supposed to have to represent something now because I'm mm -hmm. the first. So now everybody who follows by. So that's also why I did that because I was like, yeah, every black person won't be happy that they met you either. So. And then that's why I would give it to them. But what shifted was when I started to get in the outdoors, when people would invite me to things. And it was, and I could very easily, and I did it a few times when I first got there. Man, black people don't do that. I ain't doing that. To someone was like, you want to go camping? I was like, well, I am an Eagle Scout. I've done that before. You're an Eagle Scout? When did you get into the Scouts? So I'm like, oh, 
when I was 10. See, something opened. Now people want to know a little bit more. And then when I found out that most of the men I was around didn't finish the scouts, so now they're impressed with me because I'm an I'm an Eagle Scout. They're like, man, you finished it. I'm like, yeah, okay. Keep going. As I continue to get to know people, oh, while we're camping, hey, Thomas, you want to go hiking? Sure. Why not? Why that summer, the first summer I did it, I lost like 40 pounds. You know, and I'm like, whoa, man, because I weighed over 300 at that time. So I'm like, whoa, so I need to get more active. See, so what I started to do was I'm like, wait a minute. Just like I do think I have something to offer you, you obviously, obviously have something to offer me. So I can learn from you. And this is when I started getting in shape. I'm like, okay, so I can learn from you how to trim my body down. All right. And then what I started, I noticed what happening is that they started learning from me how to be human because I was engaging with them in a way that they never knew how. It was like, Thomas, man, how you able to go whitewater rafting with us? And you went skydiving with us too? And you did this? And I'm like, well, and then when I was like, well, let's have a conversation. They go, yeah. I was like, as a black person, why the hell do you want to kill yourself? Why are y'all doing this crazy shit? But then as a person who's done it, I'm like, it is so much fun. So certain things got removed from my vocabulary, like black people don't. I'm like, well, I can't say that because I do. Black people don't like, well, it kind of stopped saying that because I was like, I actually do. You know, black people don't live here. Well, and that's when it flipped right there. Black people don't live here. So then that's when the, that, that the, uh, what's the, what's the word? The, uh, the philosophy started to change Mm. because I realized something. One black person can be an amazing force in a, in a room full of a hundred white people. Just like one woman could be an amazing force in a room full of nothing but me. One man can be an amazing force in the room of number women. A young person can be an amazing force in the room of elders. And an elder can be an amazing force in the room of you. So it's like, whoa. So then what, what I've started doing up there was stop canceling myself out. It's not a white space. Why are you right. calling it a white space? It's because I'm here. My presence is so bad that when I walked up in here, I almost outnumber everybody in this room. But I'm not going right. to say it. I'm just going to behave like it. By, right. by, by not feeling like I need to do this, you know, I need to hide. No, I stopped hiding. So anyway, just, uh, just to fast forward no. to when I say that divine doorway, the challenges of growth, the challenges, how am I supposed to exactly. be here? Why am I here? But the yes. growth came when I embraced the fact that I was there. So then the reason why I say that, and I showed up because I want to hear from you too, because I really just have one more question, but that should. Then I started going, well, why shouldn't I be here? That's and exactly it. Why shouldn't I do this? Why can't I? Why can't I do this? Right. Why can't other people who look like me do this too? And so it just so so it, it just it shifted, you know. But and but I'll close with this: it shifted for me because I lived it. I didn't right. study it. I didn't go to school to pick that up. I lived it, and that's one of the things that I noticed that people who struggle with diversity in particular and having conversations around race and having conversations around gender or LGBTQ. It's not because they're stupid. It's not because they're dumb usually. It's probably because they're low in confidence, one, because they don't know. And two, you probably haven't even engaged with it. You haven't engaged with them or with us or with or with other people. So, you know, so this isn't something that you gotta get from a book. You can just get this from a memory of having someone in your life that you love and that you care about and doing things that they like and them doing things that you like. Relationship. What do you think about that, my friend? Oh my gosh, yes. Because what you're what you're really saying too, right? And what I'm what I'm hearing is, and this was the whole thing with the understanding of who I am, is that I couldn't figure that out alone. The process of, of your identity and that exploration of your choices and your learning and your experiences is so informed by the relationships and the connections that you have with other people. You cannot do it alone. 
Your identity is not formed in a vacuum. It is not formed by you just being in your head and saying, this is what I am and this is what I'm not. It is informed by the relationships and those connections and being questioned or being wrong or whatever it is, just letting go of some of those, those, uh, your own perceptions, right? Just like you were talking about, well, you know, black people don't do this, right? Or, you know, I can't be messy. Chinese people aren't messy. <laughs> I don't know why. That's just what it came to mind. Trust me, I can be very messy. Um, <laughs> but uh, the dust and accumulation in my house will tell you. Anyway, I, I digress. But, but see what I'm saying? Like these experiences in this process of, of meeting other people and engaging and just being curious about what did they learn or how did they get to where they're being and who they are. And so I think that that whole thing, right. And shedding my own perceptions of what a gardener is or what somebody who works with the land is, was so informed by previous perceptions that until I went in and I was working at a garden and the botanic garden, and I was surrounded by these amazing powerhouse people with knowledge and of the natural world. I was just in awe of it but them engaging in this kind of question where i would i would say and this was part of my story of the moment the first time in my life that i felt like i belonged anywhere because it wasn't when i was in the bank i certainly didn't feel that for 30 years of living in in the carolinas or in the south right i always felt very very different meanwhile i'm getting this accent somehow layered on right where did that come from and I know, right? And I'm 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 getting my craving for biscuits and and greens and 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 I'm just like all of this stuff and my love of pork and I'm just going to call this out. Chinese and the Southerners have this passion and a love for pork. It's for real. That's what connects us right there. I found myself in a place like I'm like, "Hey, I can do this." Anyway, <laughs> but in this whole process of, you know, being exposed to this kind of knowledge and then asking questions and them the people that inspired me that I work with this is at UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens. They just were so hungry for somebody to be curious. They didn't care that I was a woman or that I had a degree or a master's or that I was even going to pursue one or that I was mm -hmm. Chinese or whatever. It was mm -hmm. purely because I just had so much fun learning and asking questions, even when it came down to things like learning Latin names, right? Mm -hmm. Where we yes, know yes, there's yes, a yes, whole yes. colonial, <sighs> oh my goodness. Same with uh, Right. Mm -hmm. You're learning anytime you get into the sciences, you're going to pick up Latin. And so here I'm learning all these Latin names and like, but whatever it was, it was just expanding and opening my language, how I saw the world. And it was through these other people and other individuals, but it wasn't until I go further and interacting with other people of color in our industry and start engaging in more of these kind of conversations and debate in the world of cultural institutions, right? Mm -hmm. That you start to learn even more about it and it takes on another layer, but then that becomes a part of my awareness, right? And now it becomes a part of my questioning and it starts to reconnect me again. Now with, I, I had this great example where I was like, wait a minute, we call tea where of course it's famously, you know, from this plant Camellia sinensis mm -hmm. and of course, sinensis being Chinese. And so, you know, and then I think about this and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, this is the name of this plant. But then, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. The Chinese culture and the Chinese civilization uh, has existed for thousands of years mm. prior to any nomenclature, right? Invented right. by Carl Linnaeus and how to classify everything. So what did 
people call this call it. what is what is this yeah and and i'm you know my chinese heritage is is um ethnicity is you know han chinese which is of course has its own imperial background uh in the country of china but yet okay. i'm kind of going and i understand that tea has this symbol and it's this thing but i don't understand much myself i don't understand its story and how people refer to it and identify with it and so through this very windy path of exploring plants and connecting with nature's and understanding its names and learning through these amazing um people and experience allowed me then to when i connect back and start to question with my own experience and i've been to tea plantations you know in taiwan and china and eco there's so much more here in this story and now i get to go and i get to play with learning about that and that is i think this whole connection between this kind of i don't know i think i'm getting lost in my own soapbox here but it it is that that journey of the identity but recognizing that i could never have gotten to this place in my own head or from a book though so i love books and i listen to them and i listen to other people but it's this connections and this i know right i'm looking at the wall of your books behind you and i'm so jealous but it's it is that it is through the connections it is through the experiences of relating to another human being and treating each other as as humans I gotta say this, because I, I say I have time, I know that we will get ready to bring it to a close. Yeah. You have, you, it, whether people realize now that four things that kind of came up, you know, when they came up, you did it the professional experience, the identity. You actually, we even both the way that we deal with how we engage with people, in my opinion, is done in a way of unpacking privilege because mm -hmm. we recognize the privilege that we have. And so that's the reason why I say I'm gonna focus on understanding other people instead of making them understand me you know uh, and maybe there's a privilege in that but i do know there's a privilege in doing it the opposite way making you understand me instead of me understanding you and it can come off very selfish and so but the thing that i want to uh, you know close with is we're both we, we both i know utilize entrepreneurial thinking and how we connect with people and and how we and then you as a leader you know uh, uh you know manage your role you know, or lead, you know, or just lead, you know, your your style. And I just like to ask if you would mind maybe uh if, if that could be like the closing comments and you know, where you I just listen to you. And I'd like to get and and I let me put another question. The question is, Maylin, how do you understand entrepreneurship and how do you use uh the philosophy or spirit of entrepreneurship to engage with other people, especially as a leader? Okay, and especially when it comes to dealing with either issues, challenges, or problem solving. Does that make sense to it? I can, I can repeat yeah, it because I'm trying it's, it's, to figure out how to answer that. <laughs> I gotta say, because I can repeat it again, it's not a problem. I can say it again. Yeah, I mean, because myself as a, you know, as an entrepreneur or somebody, it's like sometimes I feel like it, it's still weird for me to even identify or look at myself as, a, as an entrepreneur, but part of it is also because in some way i felt like with the societal systems or just the system that i exist in and i've been living in that was almost the only way that i could be able to express fully myself and exist in the world as i want to be mm. that entrepreneurship that that opening and again this ties to just also my inspiration from from 
um, the natural world, right, is those mm -hmm. limitless possibilities. Well, if I am this being that has so many possibilities and I see opportunities and I see so many places where I can either create and be able to express and share something of myself with everybody else and with the world, like, I don't know how else to, I, to have been able to do that within the system. Like, I couldn't do that in the, in the banking world. I didn't feel like I could. Maybe I could have, but I certainly didn't feel like I could. Yeah. Within the structures of the nonprofit charity world, right? Like I felt like I had to follow into certain kinds of rules. But what I love is my sense of, I guess there, there's, a, there's a piece of me that means I have the freedom to create something and choose it without all of those kind of rules and pressures and expectations. And I get to play with it. And it doesn't mean that like the success of it you know, I kind of separate the, the success part because it's less about me trying to get to some kind of end goal or end game as much as it is. It's just a process of being who I am and sharing something that I think that might help the world or help some one other person see something differently or experience something differently or whatever that may be. I get to just do that. And if that happens, man, that just makes me feel really great. If the, the rest of it comes along, like this, this role that I'm in right now just is a total dream job and I never would have imagined it, imagined it for myself. But mm -hmm. yet through the vision of another individual, my boss, who is a privileged white male in our society, knows that his privilege can do good and should serve others. And that is a beautiful thing to, to recognize and behold because then it's that allowing for the and seeing my entrepreneurship and saying maybe maybe you want to think about this i didn't dream up this necessarily this job it was because of this other person saying your spirit and what you do is so much bigger than if i were just to give you a job in this one organization you get bored in about two years the fact that somebody else saw that mm -hmm. <laughs> is amazing like they saw me beyond even what I could dream of, right? Like, so they saw that possibility. Meanwhile, like here I am starting a podcast and I just want to be heard. And I just want to, oh, not just me. Like the whole point of it was to actually elevate everybody else's voices and their experiences um, as a plant person, you know? And mm -hmm. so it's just this whole kind of process. But yeah, it, it's just been this interesting way that I felt like that I've been able to just give all of myself to something in this planet and this existence beyond what they tell me I'm supposed to do or can, can do. That's what entrepreneurship is for me. I'm taking, not just taking those, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that. I love you say it's the only way to fully express yourself is, is, you know, to be able to share something, you know, and to know that others are curious and to be able to engage with someone who's also aware of their privilege, you know, in many mm -hmm. ways, if not some ways, you know, and that they're using it Give, giving basically giving of themselves to do good they recognize that in order for things to change i have to give something That's right. and i you know and I, and uh and, and then and, and and just even how you started this whole thing about not separating this whole episode excuse me not separated the personal from the professional you know i want to thank you for for saying that i mean i, I still have everyone who's listening i hope they i know they have a lot of notes because i still have a lot to chew on here at this moment <laughs> You know, but let me say it like this: it's 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 our to our fortune that you came on onto our podcast. And thank you. Oh, it thank is, you so much. You know, it's a blessing to share a friendship. You know that you know like that type of open, true, honest relationship with you. Thank you for for yeah. uh, for for coming here, and being and being here, but also thank you for sharing your history. 
you know, sharing that a lot because I actually learned a lot about you today. <laughs> you Likewise. know, I mean, shoot, I thought I knew, and I'm so fortunate that I did. Oh, because this just made it more exciting and more, you know, great. And I think that we need to continue, you know, our, you know, like did this conversation. So I just want to say thank you again, Maylin Plummer, everyone. Uh, I want you to check out, remember, uh, she, she is the, uh, is the leader, okay, of, she's the director of the newly formed Idea Center for Public Gardens based on Denver, Colorado's partnership between Denver Botanic Garden and American Public Garden Association. I'm going to say it because I know she won't, but she would mean it if she did. They're very lucky to have you. Oh, my goodness. And I'm glad to know that you're there. Uh, plus, you're in the state that I love. So I just want to thank you for being That's with right. us again. That's right. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. And it's been just such a great privilege to be here. Um, it really is. But I think that the other thing and what's really powerful about these conversations and these podcasts and, and why mm -hmm. I think the podcast world is exploding is mm -hmm. that that spirit of entrepreneurship, the thing is about that whole sense of being able to express who you are um, in some way. And that whole journey of identity and belonging is that it's also a very lonely process and being able to connect with another person. And, you know, you and I have stepped into this, you know, relationship and this journey together. Like it just brings you just a little bit closer to somebody else who's a little bit like you and that we have ultimately so much more in common than our, our differences. Uh, mm -hmm. It's really simple mm -hmm. in that way and that human connection. So I just want to say that like I've, I've become a less lonely person um, in the world through our conversations and through this friendship and through the, this work. I owe you. So you better come Tyler, out here and visit now. I Bring will. some biscuits while you're at it. <laughs> grits and polenta cakes and Seriously, biscuits. Seriously, I, yes. I need the grits. I need the cornmeal. Oh my goodness, you. please. I thank you. you. Thank anyway, you again. Our yeah. friend Tebow here, everyone. Uh, thank is, you, uh, You know, is always here, uh, not in the background, but in the forefront. So remember, Hartwood is a, it's a team effort. It is not just uh, me, Thomas Rashad Easley. Okay, it is uh, my partner, Tebow, and also the dean. Uh, so I want to just thank you all for tuning in uh, today. Until next time, Hardwood out. Thank you for tuning in. And I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Richard Easley. We never want to close out our episodes without thanking our sponsors, the Yale School of the Environment, and also Mind Heart for Diversity, LLC. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in.